Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today I have a very, very interesting guest. And with that being said, she's more than a guest. She is probably one of the first people to be on the show that is multifaceted. She has so much going on that I don't know like how to just give her a title. We're just going to call her Bionic Woman. <laughs> because there's so much going on and her name is Sarah McMahon so please Sarah tell everyone about yourself and then we'll dig into everything that you have going on man where do I start um you're right I do have a lot going on I have a blog called the prosiest um where I please spell about... that please spell that yes p-r-o-s-i-e-s-t it's an old word I brought it back thinking it would be like I don't know profound, but it's not really. But I blog a lot about uh, mental health, eating disorders, relationships. Um, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what I blog about. I'm also a poet. I have a book called I Like It Because It's Pink. I also do ultra marathons. So distances of like 50 to 100 miles. Whoa. So you yeah. have a lot going on. So let's go back first because <laughs> you have so much stuff going on. And let's talk about the blog first. What made you want to start doing a blog? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've been writing since I was really young, like 12. And uh, I studied English. I went to school in Illinois, actually, a school called Bradley University it's in central Illinois. Okay. And um, so I studied English. I graduated with my master's and I got a job in the nonprofit space. And I was just like, wanted to do something more than just work a nine to five. Um, so I started blogging, uh, and I started writing primarily about my eating disorder. Um, and I got a lot of like positive feedback. A lot of people asked me questions. And so I just kept it going and I blog twice a week. I publish on Thursdays and Sundays and, uh, it's just been, I mean, it's fun for me. It, it's, it allows me to be creative. It allows me to explore different topics that I'm interested in. So I just really enjoy it. Okay. And it, in this, um, interview or this podcast, as I like to say, it's really not an interview, um, I'm going to ask you something about one of your blogs because I found one that kind of um, I, I like and I just want a little insight on that one. All right, so let's move on to another facet of who you are. You are a poet. Now, let me put this out there for my audience, which is your audience now. Um, a poet. A poet is a very hard concept in this day and age. 25 years ago, a poet meant someone that wrote almost sonnets in some instances and other forms of poetry because mm -hmm. I consider a sonnet a poetry do you not yeah no that's a, that's a okay yeah. so now I want you to describe to me your poet and how you became a poet okay um I think I started writing poems when I was young too I was in like sixth grade and um, I was writing them in high school and I went to school. I grew up in Northern Wisconsin in a tiny, tiny town called Colfax. And there was like, I don't know, 60 people in my class. And so I was such a weirdo because I would write poetry. And um, my high school English teacher took me to like a poetry. It was like a writing seminar for high schoolers. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I, I was drawn to poetry. I think I just like how musical language can sound. Um, I went to college, studied English, studied poetry there as well, and I found um, Buddy Wakefield, actually, who's a spoken word poet, who, um, I don't know, his stuff just gives me chills, man. Like, 
it's just so good. And so then I started performing when I was in college as well. And then um, I lived in Chicago for a year, started performing there. There's a ton of amazing venues for that in Chicago. Chicago's got a good like art, like music kind of poetry scene. Um, and then here in California, I just kept it going. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I, my poetry is a little different, I think. Um, I, I prefer to perform it rather than have people read it. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I started. Okay, so poetry. So um, I got to put you on the spot now. Do you have some poetry for the audience? I can read a poem. Okay, well, we'll get into that. I'll give you some time to figure that out when we get deeper <laughs> into things. Okay, so you come from Wisconsin. A lot of snow? Were you from one of the areas where you got a lot of snow? or? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. northern Wisconsin. I mean, it's cold for like six months. Okay, now... Tell us about this transition in your athletics from cross, cross country to mountain races, correct? Yes. Yes. I actually started running also when I was about 12. Um, and it was kind of something that I didn't really intentionally do. One of my friends actually was like, hey, Sarah, come join cross country. And I didn't know what it was. So I was like, sure. And then I got to practice the first day and we just ran. And I was like, this is it. But then um, we started having races and I'm just very competitive by nature and I started placing at the races and I just wanted to get better. So then uh, I don't know, it gave me something to do and it also helped kind of calm me down. I was kind of a, a hyper child. So um, so anyway, and then I, I got a scholarship to run in college and ran track and cross country. And then I think after that, I was kind of burned out. Um, but then I discovered trail running here in California and the mountains and it's just so much more fun for me um, to run on trails rather than road. Um, and the community of trail running is really cool. Like everyone's super just laid back and salt of the earth kind of people. So I just, I just love it. And, does, is it, and, and in doing this, does this kind of like boost your self-esteem in, in other areas in line? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, after I finish a long race, um, I feel like just like I'm walking on, like I'm walking on sunshine. Like I'm just like, I'm untouchable. It just definitely does. Cause it, it, feels impossible, right? Before I ran a 50 miler, say, I was like, that's impossible. I can't do that. And then I did it. And so I was like, whoa, you know, kind of boost, boost my confidence for sure. Uh, probably translates to like every area of my life, I'm sure. Okay. Okay. Now you went to college, you got this English degree mm. and you can see what you're doing with it. Mm. What's the next thing you're going to do with your English degree? That's a, that's a really good question. You know, Currently, I, I write grants also for uh, the Red Cross, so that's my day job, I guess. Okay. Um, so I do fundraising for the Red Cross, um, and I write my blog, and I do my poetry. So I'm currently using um, my, my writing skills and my communication skills a lot. Um, I, I don't know uh, where that's going to lead, but I can't see myself moving away from writing. Writing's my strong suit. So if, even if I did transition out of my day job to something else, it would be within the writing field. Um, but it's pretty funny when I was studying English, everyone thought I was going to be a teacher. They would always ask me that, I'm like, what are you going to do teach? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not patient enough for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually with English degree, someone does that or they go into some form of, uh, you know, like writing books or something, you know? So, yeah. 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 So that's, that's way different. Now, like you have so much stuff going on, um, Tell the audience about what you're doing visually and what you're doing with audio. Because uh, audience, you have to understand, you go over to her page, and what's your page again? The Prosiest. www. www.theprosiest.com. 
Okay, so you can head over there. So what do you got going on over there audio video wise? Because you're she's doing everything. She's gonna be a modi uh I said a modi, I'm sorry, excuse me guys, a media mogul one day. Behind everything um, you're doing. <laughs> so um so one thing I do when I, I write my blogs, I also record them. So there's an audio version and I did that mostly for actually it started because my grandma was like old and stuff. So it was easier for her to listen, but I enjoy doing that. And then I also make videos of some of my poetry. So. Okay. So you got a lot going on there and where can they find the audio portion? So I put that on SoundCloud and um, I have a few videos up on YouTube, still working on, you know, figuring out the kinks of YouTube. That's a whole other thing. Um, the, the content creation space is kind of overwhelming to, <laughs> to start with. So um so YouTube is a whole thing I'm figuring out as well, but I, all my audio is on SoundCloud. All right, so how do they actually find you on SoundCloud? Like, what's your name on SoundCloud? My name on SoundCloud is just Sarah McMahon. All right, Sarah McMahon. And that is not wrestling fans. That is not the same <laughs> McMahons, okay? Because I just want to get that out there. So this is pretty amazing that you find time to do all this. How do you have so much time to do all this? Like, that, that right there is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I think because I don't, um, you know what, I think I just learned how to manage my time really well when I was in school because I was always, you know, competing as an athlete, had a full course load, also had a job um, and everything. So I had to learn how to manage my time. Um, I, you know, I don't have like a family and kids and stuff. So maybe that it's also a big reason um, that I have time to pursue all these other hobbies. Any animals? I have a cat, but you know, cats are pretty low maintenance. Yeah, they take care of themselves and they take care of you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. In doing everything, um, do you follow the same sentiment? Because I always tell people this. Um, doesn't matter what shift I work. Doesn't matter what I'm doing in life. I always have two hours of free time no matter what I'm doing in life in a day. Yeah. So you do agree with that? So, so I mean, at least. Especially now, I mean, um, I usually get up and I run really early, like usually before I start work. So I'm up at 5.30, um, getting my workout in. If I don't get my workout in in the morning, I sometimes feel like I'm not going to do it or I get anxious that I won't be have time to get it in. So I get that out of the way in the morning, go through my work day. And then say I'm off at five or even six, it's like you have all night to do something and it's up to you to do whatever you want with that time. So, so, yeah, so you have a lot of time. Okay, so let's dive into this book. Yes. Tell the audience the title once again, because one thing about podcasters, um, we will plug your stuff to death. And another thing that we'll do is we will reiterate for you to put your information out there, because we have people that click through the podcast and we're like, oh, there's a commercial. Let me skip two sections. So could you real quick plug your website one more time, and I'll get you to do it again, and where people can contact you beyond your website. Because the thing is, is that, and I don't understand this with uh, technology, you tell someone that you're here on this platform, but they want you over here on that platform. Sure. So my blog is probably the easiest way to find me. It's www.proseus.com. Um, my book is called I Like It Because It's Pink. Uh, you can find that on Amazon if you Google I like it because it's pink. I also have a poetry page on Instagram that's just Sarah McMahon Poetry. Um, and my Instagram name is actually McMountain. So there are many ways to find me. <laughs> okay, okay. So that works out there. Because that's just one thing I want to reiterate. So 
let's get into this book. What made you decide that you needed to write a book? What made you feel that it was time to get a book out there? Um, so about probably just over two years ago, uh, no, probably two and a half years ago, I was engaged to somebody and we broke up and I was in California and I didn't know anybody. Um, so it was difficult for me. I started writing more. I started performing my poetry more and I just accumulated it. I had a Word doc. Uh, it was like a hundred pages long of poetry and um, it just seemed like there were common themes throughout my poetry. And so I decided to try to put it together in, in a way that made sense. Um, so I worked for a while to try to put the poems together in, you know, sections and stuff like that. So it's actually uh, split into four parts. There's good love, there's bad love, there's self-love, and there's family love. Um, and the family love part is probably my favorite part because it's all about where, like how I grew up and like rural northwestern Wisconsin. And it, I grew up poor. Um, and so it seems like a pretty universal experience to grow up poor. And, um, and yeah, so I decided to put it together in a book. And I'm very happy with how it turned out, so. Okay, so what is your favorite part of this book? Because everyone writes a book, right? And they write sections that are part of self-healing. And obviously, every portion of this was self-healing for you, correct? I think so, yeah, I think so. Okay, what is your favorite part of this book? And could you give us an excerpt of your favorite part of the book? Because the thing is, is that everyone writes a masterpiece. And obviously, you've written a masterpiece. I like it. Because it's pink. And I'm How do you like the title? Tell me about. Uh, tell me what. Tell me your thoughts about the title. The title, I, it to me. I don't like. I, I'm. I'm. I'm thinking like because pink. I wear salmon. You know when I'm out <laughs> in the summertime. So because I, I kind of dress like Carlton in the summertime from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's just always been my look. So I'm like a a spirit type guy. So um, I like things that are pink. I, I love different shades of pink. So. To me, that's kind of like, it's like a hard generalization of you saying that you just like it because it's pink, because that's a way to conform to just being normal. Okay, that's interesting. I actually, my I wrote a poem called I Like It Because It's Pink when I was really high one time. And um, <laughs> <laughs> weed is legal in California. I don't know oh, what yeah. it's like in West Virginia, but. <laughs> we do what we do. Oh, we do. Okay, okay. No judgment here, but I didn't ever try weed until I moved out here. And then I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is so fun and funny and stuff. Um, but then I, one of my friends said like, oh, that seems like a bigger than just a poem. Like, it sounds like a book. And I like that it, my the cover is pink and everything's a, kind of appealing to women, you know, and I think women pro would probably gravitate toward my poetry more so than men. Now I'm generalizing for sure, but um, but that's probably the demographic that I'm. Oh yikes, <laughs> that I'm um, targeting. So, my favorite part of the book, though, um, I have a couple of poems that I really love. Pro probably my favorite one is called "Country Poor Kids." Every time I perform this poem at a, an open mic or a poetry reading, the room gets really quiet, and usually okay. that's not a good thing because, like, usually at a spoken word event, people are snapping and whatever and the first time I performed it I was like oh no nobody likes it everyone's quiet but um afterward like there was just like a feeling in the room that everyone was like kind of just like speechless and I was like oh it was good so that's been kind of the reaction to this poem okay so we'll move back over to this blog um I was skimming through things because uh audience you have to understand 
when you're building, we build a relationship before we get on here. And it's kind of, we go back and forth with messages. And then our audience in the first 10 minutes that I meet someone like Sarah, I have to build a rapport really fast before we get on air. So I look at everybody's source material. That's what I call it. When I send you an email, I'll say something. I'm like, I need your source material so I can figure out what we can do together. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and act like I turn away guests or I don't turn away guests. I won't answer, ever answer that. But we've got, we've got to have a common ground so that there can be an uncommon place. And that's kind of, it makes sense if you really think hard into that. So you had a blog entry, a lesson from 2020. Yes. And that blog, that blog entry, that blog entry, I would like you to talk about that blog entry because it was the entry that caught me. You had a lot of entries on there, a lot of entries, correct? Mm-hmm. But that one just caught me. Would you mind talking about it? Um, can I ask what caught your eye specifically? Okay, when I went through everything else, everything that you had, it wasn't like it was bubble gum or anything, but it was it was dark. Yeah, I think um, I think part of it was just I'm kind of I mean everyone's a little fed up with 2020, right? Um, everyone's a little like tired and and whatnot, but lots of things have happened in my life. Like I've had friends that have, you know, lost loved ones. My family has, I've lost my uncle not too long ago. And it's just like, it's like, when will it end? You know, there's all these bad things that keep happening. And I think everybody's ways of coping with um, 2020 are a bit different, but that one was cathartic for me to write because um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think the point of um, like, there, like there's a section in this blog where I say the point of anything is the doing of the thing. So my point, I guess, in this vlog was just to kind of make sense of 2020, um, not let it ruin me. Like it's easy to feel really down and depressed during this time. Um, and maybe you can't make sense of like what's going on in the world right now, but uh, I guess the, the point is just to keep going. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not easy to do that, especially like here in California, we just shut everything down again. It's winter. So it's dark early. I can't go home and visit my family. So the holidays aren't exactly like exciting and fun and full of love and joy and everything, you know? So and, and right. And one thing that I want to paint out here for the, the audience real fast. I've been in California quite a few times and you all have a weird weather. What I'm sitting in 20 degree weather right now. So, you know, it's chilling cold. You've lived this type of life. Mm-hmm. It, maybe not as high in the mountains, but still you've been in mountains. Um, but there, it can be 80 degrees during the day. It could be 90 degrees. And people are outside, short sleeve. Some people wear long sleeve all day long just to stay cold and warm, whatever. But when it's 60 degrees at night or at 5 or 6 o'clock there, because I was there in the December time, it felt like the 40-degree days in Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio places. It was bitter cold. And you needed, you may not have needed like the biggest jacket, but you had to have something on to stay warm. So I understand what you mean about your guys' winter. So to the audience, you have to understand their winter is fairly harsh. It, it's not maybe as harsh as Oklahoma or somewhere like that, but. Oh, it's definitely not. It does like, we get sunshine during the day and whatnot, but um, just like the early darkness, you know, it gets dark at like five now and it's just, 
um, that's when I'm wrapping up my work day. So then it just doesn't, it feels like, you know, I should go to bed or something. So, um, you know, seasonal depression, whatever that is, you know, people are grappling with that at the same time that we're going through another shutdown at the same time that there's the holidays and it's a very divisive and complicated time. So. Okay. But the reason that that caught me a lesson from 2020 is because um, it's going to be a history lesson, not next year, not five years, but 10 years when people go back to examine this. Because like, I'll give you an example of, of what type of history I want to give you. We can go back in time to like 9-11. When 9-11 happened, the impact, no one, we cared about it, but no one really dug deep into it until it was 10 years away. Like what happened on this time? What's some of the literature? What is something that someone put out there? And you put out a blog. You put out an entry, which you may not feel is an influence on anything, but that's an influence on the culture. It's letting people know what it was like for you in your area of California. Yeah. So I look at impact on things and I look at people's influence beyond just the click into it. So I looked over everything you had and that was the one thing that stuck out to me. That's something like, if I were going to check on you, if you're a millionaire in 10 years or a billionaire, but like this entry right here was very intriguing. It was a different take on all the other stuff that you wrote about. Hmm. So that's just my takeaway from it, but I'm no one important. But the thing is that that's just my takeaway from that one. So that one really intrigued me there. So outside of this, um, you did mention something about yourself earlier. You offer a set of services and thing about this is we always want to know what's going on with the guests like you know beyond the book you've got you're putting out I'm going to just call them songs even though it's uh, spoken word you're putting out music to a degree you're putting out videos you got a book you write a blog and you do some form of and I want to be very correct when I say this I'm not going to say proofreading or uh, anything like that but you do writing services yeah, like on a freelance basis. So um, I've done work for lots of different types of people. I edited some. I edited someone's book. I did some white papers. Um, I wrote for a holistic health kind of doctor here. I've done grants on a freelance basis. Um, it's it's like hit and miss. You know, some sometimes I get really busy with my freelance work, and sometimes it's pretty quiet. But um, also resume editing is was pretty popular this year because lots of people were out of work due to COVID. So um, I also help people with that and yeah, cover letters, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So you got those services rolling on. Okay. And with your poetry, because like I said, I'm going to dive into everything because let me tell you guys, she gives the greatest cheat sheet on her website. She, and, and, and I appreciate that because a lot of times I keep a notebook. I've got notes on you, you know, only she can see this. Um, so we covered, um, what inspired you to, um, do quite a few things, but let's dig deeper. Do you remember the TV show 2020? The TV show 2020? Yeah. The TV magazine that came on ABC and had a lady named Diane Sawyer and it had a lady named Barbara Walters. Yes. Yes. And it, okay, and it yes. had a guy, John Stossel. Well, now it's time for us to get into the more in-depth and serious, serious, more serious, I said serious, the serious <laughs> questions. I don't know. Um, I'm a little tongue-tied. All right, so you poked around this this uh, item, but I'm going to bring it out there, the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. That is something that is really major, just like 
Uh, yeah. Other topics in eating disorder, um, in this series of uh, podcasts that I've been doing in the season three, have dealt with different forms of mental anguish. And I'm not going to say that's fully mental anguish, but I am going to say there is a mental anguish inside of that. Mm-hmm. So if you wouldn't mind, could you talk to us about your eating disorder, what you did to cope, and how you're dealing with it day to day now? Because see, the thing is with people, people always tell about their downfall and they tell about their rise, but no one tells about that second downfall and then the stability that comes afterwards. Mm, yeah. Yeah. My eating disorder, I think, started when I was really young. Around age 10, I kind of became aware that, uh, I guess, the size of bodies mattered and people would judge people by the size of their bodies. Um, And that was probably like things I heard my family say or things I saw in magazines or on TV and stuff like that. Um, And I started I started running at age 12 and then kind of used running uh, as a way to control my body in a way. I, I also start, I stopped eating dessert. Like I had some disordered behaviors pretty young. When I was 18, um, my mom had cancer. She's okay now. She's in remission. Yay. Okay. Um, but she was, um, she was in the hospital. My dad was staying with her. My brother and I were home alone and I was just like overwhelmed by emotion. I didn't know what to do. And um, I started binging. And then because I felt so guilty from binging, I started purging. Um, So I went from kind of restricting food really heavily to binging and purging, which is actually pretty common for people with eating disorders. If they restrict for a long time, then they can't, can't, like their body just needs food. So then they start binging and I started purging. And then I uh, went away to college and, you know, I was a college athlete and um, in, in a sport where your body size is pretty scrutinized and my coaches were pretty like pretty uh harsh about body weight and stuff like they told me to lose 20 pounds um before I went home for a summer after my freshman year and I was like I was a healthy weight like I was like 130 pounds I wasn't overweight at all and they're like you'd be faster you know if you lost a bunch of weight and so I took that to heart and I started restricting even more and a lot of my teammates were doing the same things they were you know, eating way not enough food for the amount of activity we were doing. I was running like 70 miles a week in the weight room and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I uh, got really, really tiny, got really fast for a short amount of time. And then I got hurt. I actually had to have hip surgery when I was like 22. Whoa. Yeah. I was way too young for hip surgery. Um, But after that, I, that's when I got my lightest actually, because I couldn't work out at all. So I just kind of stopped eating and, um, it, it sounds like not as bad when I'm talking about it, but when you have a, a, like a mental d- disorder, like an eating disorder, like I was so socially isolated. I was unhappy. I thought about food all the time. I remember like, like throwing up and then just crying. Cause I felt so like alone. And, um, I sought help when I was 22, um, because I ordered some diet pills from Amazon and my boyfriend was living with me at the time and he opened them and he's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I think I need help. And so I went to our campus like counseling center and I, I talked to a counselor there for like four hours. Like it was a long time. And she was kind of like, we can't help, like you need more help. So then I went to an outpatient treatment program where I had to eat all my meals. I had intense therapy, group therapy, one-on-one therapy, all types of therapy. And then, uh, then I graduated. So then I was kind of like on my own out in the world, still trying to grapple with my eating disorder, still trying to figure out how to be okay with my body and still going to therapy. I was, I've been in therapy since 2014. And this year I actually kind of stopped because 
I don't feel like I need it for my eating disorder anymore. But I think the thing people don't realize about recovery like that is it takes a long time. I had um, very disordered habits for a long time. So I had to break the pattern of thinking that way. And that takes time. I, and I took some steps backward. Like I remember after a few years of therapy, like three years, um, I started purging again. And I was like, I'm still fucked up. Like what's wrong with me? And it's, it's just lonely. Um, but I did meet some incredible people through my treatment program and um, group therapy and stuff like that. And community definitely helps. I think community is like such a lifeline, especially now. I mean, this is a year where everyone's more isolated than ever, but I feel like community is so important for mental health. Um, if you can find a community, it's going to be easier to get through whatever you're going through. Okay, so now I'm going to hit you with a hard-hitting question. So how are you thriving now? How are you able to just take that portion of your life and, and put a mental block on it? I think I just got tired, honestly. <laughs> you get tired of <laughs> caring so much and, and being so isolated and so alone. And, and, you know, I got to the point where I was tinier physically than I ever been and I was not happier. Um, so I kind of figured out that wasn't the answer, you know? Um, I'm also still an athlete, like I still run and I do these long races and I need to fuel my body in order to perform well. So there's a little bit of an incentive for me as an athlete to fuel my body so I can do what I love to do. Um, so, yeah, I think um, now I notice whenever I get kind of focused on how my body looks or get obsessed with food or whatever, um, there's something else going on. And I've learned that through therapy. So, um, so yeah, I think my ability, my ability to put it behind me is just kind of accepting it as part of me and who I am and um, not trying to like separate it from the rest of my life. It's just here and it's part of, it's part of me now. Okay. And I, and I appreciate that because one thing that that people don't always notice uh, when they're on these podcasts and when they're doing this stuff is that you just help somebody. Hmm. It won't sink in today. It won't sink in tomorrow. But you just influence somebody. Hmm. Um, so we'll move into another area because we cover mental health. Relationships. Yes. <laughs> you deal with relationships. And I always tell people, we never go too deep and too personal because you have a book. You have a lot of uh, ways that people can reach you to, oh, you got the book in your hand. <laughs> I do. I was um, holding it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you definitely have a way to reach people and to help them with their relationships. Mm -hmm. So just a scenario, how do you, what inspired you to get into the portion of handling relationships? Because relationships are, 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 are weird things you know to handle and audience when I say relationships these can be friendships they can be any type of relationship it could be a business relationship so what inspired you to make the focal point of relationships because these are her focal points running eating disorders writing mental health and life and relationships if I relationships, didn't already yeah. say that <laughs> um well I think part of it was I was you know I was with someone for five years and we were engaged and then I broke off the engagement because I was just so unhappy um, and he was kind of abusive, like, you know, verbally, a little physically. And that's when I broke it off. And um, I just didn't ever envision myself getting to that point in a, in a romantic relationship. And so I wanted to understand why, uh, like how I was susceptible to that and stuff like that. And then I was also starting to date again. And I was like, dating is weird. Dating is wild. What the hell? 
and you know, sometimes you like, don't know who to trust or whatever. And I think the, the secret to any successful relationship is just having boundaries, like friendships, businesses, parents, family stuff, just having solid boundaries and really knowing yourself and liking who you are. I, I always say you should be your own best friend. Otherwise you're not going to be happy. Like if you're not happy by yourself then you're not gonna be happy with anyone else. And okay. whether that's like family or a relationship or whatever. And I follow this, the motto that's real simple, learn me or I'm a lesson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause that as, as you get older, you'll understand that more, you'll, you understand it now, obviously, but if, if, if I had known that in my early twenties, a lot of heartache, heartbreak probably would have never taken place. But that's one thing. Keep with you. Learn me or I'm a lesson. And if you if you let someone know that from the get-go, you'll start learning if you're the lesson or if that person is learning you. And it cuts, I mean, it cuts so much. And I hate to use a piece of meat as an example, but it cuts so much of the fat off. Hmm. That's just one thing in general that I follow. And, you know, we all have other methods. Um, I think um, another important thing is just... Uh, following your intuition. Like I have got gut feelings about people and then kind of ignored the gut feeling and continued a relationship. And then it always ends in a disaster hurts me or whatever. But if I just listen to my gut instinct or my intuition early, it's never been wrong. So um, like, you know, when someone is respecting you or not, or, you know, when someone's good for you or not, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, it, it's a it's an intuition. It's a little thing that you just have, and sometimes we ignore it because we're I always call it the whirlwind of romance. Yeah. All uh, right, and and you get caught up, or a better word is you get caught up in the rapture of love. You know, and, and everything just feels comfortable, and you just do these things, and the next thing you know, you have to remember how fast that gust of wind came in because that's how mm-hmm. fast it's going to leave, and that's the part we mm-hmm. all forget. Like, <clears throat> I'm glad we're on the same page on that one. <clears throat> because it's, it's like that right there just it's mind-boggling and i've had so many guests uh we we're even going to do um if you do want to be involved in this later on and i'm sorry audience that i'm throwing this out there um i want to have a, a super group podcast mm. entitled the friend zone <laughs> I love because that. it is the to me that and i'm sorry i'm doing this in your uh in your podcast but um it's one of the most taboo situations like some people can't accept it, but sometimes it's for your protection. Yeah. And it's for preservation. Rejection is protection. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So that's what I definitely want to do. And um, I'll invite you later if you, you know, later outside the podcast, if you definitely want to join in on that one. Because everybody has a great perspective on it. And everybody's been in that zone where you put somebody there. We've been on both sides of it. Oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. has, yeah. And, and that's just one topic that I, I think that could go on for days. But anyway, yeah, I think so. Everyone has a story, you know? Yeah, because so. like, I mean, I'm not going to dig into anything, but I'll say this. I actually had a sheet because I'm a scientist when it comes to everything I do. I had a technical sheet. And as I was going through college and different things, if I was interested in you and you didn't meet certain criteria, I knew that you had to go in the friend zone. Like I didn't even chance it. I didn't, I didn't take a dive because I learned that it would just end in heartbreak. And that's really petty. But, you know. Everyone's got something like that. Everyone's got deal breakers, you know, but I never had a chart. I never charted it out. Well, sometimes putting science to things works. All (laughs) right, so being a poet, being um, a blogger, running, writing, and everything that you do. Hmm. Somewhere in the world, there's another Sarah, and then there's another 
Sarah with an I at the end of the name. That's a boy. <laughs> and they wanna they wanna be you. They wanna go down the road you went down. And we're not talking about the bad part or the great parts. We're just talking about the road you went down to to get a book in the world, to ha- to be a media influencer because that's what you are. Someone pays attention to what you're writing every day. Someone pays attention to everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. You're under a microscope, even though um, in society people don't really think about this. And, and, and I want to just get this out there because I was speaking to someone earlier today in a podcast, and I explained to them too that you know some people don't understand that they're influencers. Like you understand that you are an actual influencer. There is a young lady, there's a young man somewhere that follows what you do in life. Mm-hmm. And to some people, it's it's kind of overwhelming that, you know, because of technology, we've all become celebrities. Everyone's a celebrity to someone. You have fans and you have stands, you know? <laughs> so true. how do you deal with that? Um, that's a good question. I think part of it is just, um, like, I know who I am. I've, I've come to this place where I'm very happy and comfortable with who I am. I, I don't think I would put myself out there and put my life out there if I was uncertain about that or insecure in some way. So um, that just really allows me to ignore the haters, ignore the messages that are mean or mean-spirited. If someone has critiques that are thoughtful and helpful, then I would a thousand percent listen. But if someone's just trying to be mean or diminutive, I just shut it down. Um, and that is probably something I haven't thought a ton about that. Yeah, people are watching me and, and I do get messages from people um, thanking me and stuff like that. But um, I don't think about it in my day-to-day life. I'm just trying to be as authentic as I can, especially on a platform that's, you know, like Instagram is just like, pictures and captions so it's hard whoa 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 i must stop you instagram instagram hold on i have to hold on i have to fix this real quick instagram is seeded into so many things that's true instagram hold on and this is one thing that because everybody knows that i'm an instagram buff (laughs) we did the analogy about facebook and walmart and target and stuff instagram it is embedded by pictures. Yes, I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. But the subculture that's inside of there are the same people that are on Reddit, the same people that are on Tumblr, which I don't know what goes on in Tumblr. I think I'm too old to know. I don't think it's anything mm-hmm. good. <laughs> I don't think it's anything good because from what I've mm-hmm. seen. But Instagram is the new subway because Facebook. Think about this stuff. On Facebook, do you handle a lot of stuff on there? I mean, I use it, but I don't probably, it's not like the demographic I'm trying to reach, right? Like it's typically older and stuff like that. So, right. so yeah. an older demographic has moved on to Instagram now, then eventually we'll move on to back to Twitter or they'll bring back Vine. They're getting rid of Periscope, which I don't understand. I don't either. Yeah, but, but go ahead and say what you were going to say so that I can hear. I, I apologize for interrupting you. Well, I am an Instagram I was, guy. I was trying to convey that it's difficult to show your life in totality on Instagram. You know, like you post a picture, but that's just a minute of your day. Even if you put, post stories all day, it's just little snippets of who you are. So it's not even, it's like hard to get to know somebody or like authentically on, on a social media platform. But everyone thinks that they do, right? Like I follow people that I'm like, like we'd be friends in real life. Like I've thought that about people on social media, you know? Um, 
but I'm only seeing like small, small parts of their life. Right. You're, you're seeing the good, not the bad and the ugly. So I do agree with that. Cause I will tell you this, like there's some instances like with what I do in life, like my normal job, which I told you what it is, puts me in a very public eye. Mm. So I have to, I'm always careful about necessarily what I post on Facebook on Instagram. I already have a certain content. I have a certain group of people that are going to follow that. And then with the listeners, they're everywhere. So that's why I asked you uh, about your influence because I didn't realize how much of a microscope that I lived under until I was out in the public because with my job, I'm in so many different cities. You know, I, I went to a, a Cincinnati Reds game and I don't, I don't ever think that anybody would know me. I'm just a normal Joe that works a normal job, you know, and someone actually approached me and said, hey, this podcast you did, that person helped me. And I was like, I'm glad about that, that that person helped you. I'm just the gateway, you know? So, so, um, being a social media influencer, that has to be a lot to take in. And I hate that I did something bad here because now you're taking it in. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it, but I don't have, like, I mean, I don't have that many followers. I'm not, like, a huge, huge presence on social, but. um... Well, let me give you another bit here, because I don't like talking with you, because you're very insightful, and you take in a little bit. If you have 25 people that follow you, okay, those 25 people have 25 people that follow them. Those 25 people, at least when it keeps trickling down, even if they're not following you, someone's saying something about you or talking about this or talking about this picture, and they're showing it to more than just that one person that's on your page. So you have a lot more followers than what's on your account. And, and, And I had to learn that the hard way. I know that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But it, yeah, it, kind of, it makes sense, though. Yeah, it does make sense. And people can see my page without following me as well. It's not private. so. Um, but you but have yeah. analytics for that, though. Your analytics will show you who's yeah. how many people, yeah. And yeah. depending on how deeply integrated you are on that one. Okay. Now, there's a portion of my show. I hope that you did not listen to the show yet. Because um, if you hadn't, that's fine. I'm not going to hold any grudges. I might hold a grudge later. But anyway, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, this rapper out of New York, he's, he's big on Spotify right now. His name is Drop Top Dre. This guy's amazing. He can rap, da, 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 whatever. But he can solve an Arubis cube in 40 seconds. Like, what? bam, bam, bam. It's crazy. And he told that on this show. That was his secret talent. Another um, young lady came on and she said that something that will drive her insane, which which will make her wreck a car, is the sound of a carbonated drink opening in a commercial. In real life, it mentally breaks her down and she's ready to flip it out and tear up the world. Um, (laughs) Another instance, a lady told me that she goes to Goodwill stores, buys artwork, and puts glitter and rhinestones on it and resells it. Hey, what okay. I work, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so here's the deal. Every guest that's on the show has to tell either a secret or a talent that no one knows about. That nobody knows about? Right, and so this is how I help you get time to think about this. I will tell the story of me real fast, and I do this on every episode in different ways. Okay. For me, I eat, I'm from the state of Virginia, so we're, we're a vegetable strong place. I'm pretty 
tough guy in that instance. So I eat. I'm a hearty eater. I eat vegetables. I eat rhubarb. I eat parsnips, which is to people that's just the cousin of the potato. Yeah. I'll eat alfalfa grass, but I will not touch a beet. If you have beets at your house and you invite me over and you serve them, I will unfriend you in real life. If you send me a picture in Facebook Messenger, I will still be your friend on Facebook, but I will block you on Messenger. If <laughs> we even, know. <laughs> if 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 you, if I think that you're talking about beats that are not headphones or beats that's not music, I will just leave the room. <laughs> and if we're and if we're out somewhere, you'll be there left. Beets, every year I try them to bring them back in my life. But beets, it's not even a texture issue. It's just, I just don't like the taste. Every year, like when January 1 hits, I will try to eat beets again to see if we can come to a middle ground. Because I love to eat all vegetables. And beets, at one time in life, were probably good for me. But I have other vegetables that can take its place. So that's my secret. And people that know this know whenever they're going to serve beets that they don't even bring it up around me. Because I'm that petty. I'm Petty Murphy or Richard Petty about that. You know? <laughs> so I've told my story now. So that gave you enough time to come up with a secret or talent mm-hmm. that no one knows about. I don't think it's a talent, but um, not many people know that I used to sleepwalk real bad. And um, like one time, I think I was, must have been like seventh grade, I went outside. And I left my parents' house and my mom heard the door open and we lived in the countryside, right? Like my parents have acreage. It's like a farm, you know, it's farmland. And um, so she heard the door open and close and got up, thought someone was inside or something, but noticed I wasn't in my room anymore. So I'd gone missing essentially. So they had to call the police. There was like search dogs. There was like a helicopter with a light, like they couldn't find me. And my parents were actually the people that found me hours later. I was in a, a field that was used to like was a cornfield, but all the corn was like chopped down because it was like October. So this cornfield and I was curled up in a ball and that's how they found me. And I had like frostbite and stuff on my fingers and toes because it was October. So it was cold. And uh, then they put an alarm on the door. Yeah. But I, I did all sorts of weird things. Like I would I woke up one time on the kitchen counter with my head in the butter dish. <laughs> like crazy shit. Like I just would, you know, sleepwalk. Uh, I grew out of it, though. Thank God. Okay, so glad. Really... I was about to say, do you have a life alert? <laughs> don't sleepwalk. I'd be so terrified because I've lived in you know big cities and stuff, and that's terrifying. But I kind of think I when I heard you, especially when I heard you say Chicago. Yeah. That got my yeah. heart going. I got my heart <laughs> going. Okay, Sarah. I want to thank you for being on West Virginia Commonplace. This has been really awesome, and I hope to have you back later on. Because you, because yeah. the one thing, the one thing with people that's that's amazing is we're always growing, we're revolving and evolving at the same time. You know, both of them, just like that. So, um, to close this out, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to? Because there's someone that helped make Sarah McMahon. It wasn't all just you um, out there running 3.1 miles. Is that cross country still? Yeah, yeah, we ran. Yeah, 5K. That's 3.1. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And what are you always doing this 30.1 in life? <laughs> Somebody was helping you somewhere. Yeah. You a I think I would give a shout out. I'd have to give a shout out to my parents. My parents are so great, man. They were such loving, awesome parents. My mom is like, she's like, I, I want to be her when I grow up, you know? <laughs> so mom and dad, 
Shout out to them. I love okay. that. Okay. Yeah. And once again, I want to thank you for being on West Virginia Commonplace. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right.